1: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co host, EJ Snyder. Got a little bit of a different show for you this week. Normally, we would be doing a full recap of all of Week 10's games, but EJ and I thought, you know, we're a little over halfway through the season now. Why don't we check in on some of the bigger and some of the not so big named rookies around the league? and kind of go through each position group and talk about which rookies are establishing themselves, at least among rookies, as the best at their position. So we got a long show, a lot of young players to talk about, some that you've heard of, again, some that maybe you haven't heard of, but uh, yeah, I I think it's going to be a fun one. EJ, buddy, how are you doing and what are you drinking? I'm
0: excited. This feels like old home week. It kind of feels like we get to go visit some friends that we haven't seen in a while, We talked about a lot of these guys (laughs) through the entire process. We met a lot of them at the Senior Bowl, and we, you know, we see them every once in a while. They make a play, and, you know, we'll text back and forth, hey, there's something for Logan Wilson, or hey, look at Neville Gallimore, or whatever, and now we get to talk about him for the whole week. Certainly charged me up. It's getting to the point of the season where it's a little bit of a grind to watch every game. Uh, and go through the recap. So this got me excited and I am looking forward to. It. What do I have to drink? I am channeling my inner uh K Adams. Uh K Adams has Polish heritage and I was lucky enough to pick up a Polish beer. This is the OK beer. It's full pale beer. I love that description. Uh it's from the Okosim brewery in Poland. I'm sure I'm butchering that. Sorry K. Uh, It's a 16 ounce can. It was established in 1845. So they've been making beer for a while. 5.6 by volume. It's a pale lager. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I've never had it. I texted a friend of it to a friend of mine that grew up in Poland. Um, Her dad was in the military and she was actually born in Poland and raised there. And uh, she immediately recognized it. So I'm looking forward to that. And then for my shot, uh, Jameson Black Barrel. I had a pretty good day at work today. Launched a couple of projects. So I am celebrating with one of my all-time favorites. Uh, Black Barrel, so smooth. A um, little bit buttery, uh, but just warm and lovely. Uh, so shot in a glass over
1: ice, as is typical. What do you have this week? So I got I got something a little bit special that I thought you would either hate or love. I honestly don't know. Oh, now, uh, I'm, now I'm thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> There's a micro brew, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes away from me called The Brewery over in Placentia, California. Uh, not spelled like B-R-E-W. It's B-R-U-E-R-Y, The Brewery. Uh, they kind of specialize in sours, but they also do some kind of experimental stuff with aging. And they have uh, something called Black Tuesday, which is an imperial stout aged in rum barrels. And the rum barrels kind of help to fortify it a little bit. This thing is 20.8%. What? Holy
0: shnikes.
1: Okay, so by the time we get to the defense, (laughs) you're
0: going to be on
1: your face. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a long night for me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: Imperials are something, but Imperials are usually, they start somewhere in the 11-12 range, go well up through the 13 to maybe 15, and after that, it's usually considered or classified a barley wine. To have a straight-up Imperial that's a 20, I mean, yeah, I hope f- I I it's good. I had
1: to get blown off tonight. yeah but that's
0: fantastic it sounds a little bit like there's a it sounds like a similar brewery in bend oregon called the crux fermentation project uh and they do a really interesting range of beers uh they do some sours they do some short sours they do a lot of things with uh fermentation and combination and aging as well they have some really interesting beers and people kind of either love them or hate them they're a very divisive sort of brewery uh but very what i would call like an art brew house right they they do what they want they they do very unique and interesting combinations um but 20 aged in rum barrels now i'm now i'm just wondering like how drinkable that is so you'll have to give me a report i have
1: no idea i'm gonna find out that's awesome no i i'm always up
0: for something new uh i don't think i'd be up for a lot of that uh but i would definitely Take a snifter of that, but I'm going to open this okay beer and and we'll get ourselves going. I wanted to talk about the bootleg shot of the week recap. Last week's winner was Bill's AJ Klein blowing up Russ Wilson at the end of the game for the sack forced fumble combo. That was the hit that you guys all voted on. Uh, We do have a note. We got some comments in the YouTube feed. Um, Thank you all for checking out the YouTube feed, leaving comments there, interacting with us. We really appreciate it. Somebody said, hey, David Johnson got concussed on Miles Jack's hit. Are you guys out for celebrating people's injuries? I hope not. And the answer is absolutely not. Um, We're not surprised that he got concussed, but we did not know it. We need to say that when we put that hit up for for the bootleg shot of the week. We are not here to celebrate players being injured. Again, if a hit is flagged or there's an obvious injury, it's not in consideration. In fact, last week, we were going to put a Deshaun Elliott hit in, uh, but we took it out at the last minute because he caught the receiver under the chin. The hit wasn't flagged. It certainly wasn't intentional, but regardless, he made incidental contact with the crown of his helmet damn near knocked the tight end out. So no go. He was not in the running. If we had known, uh, at the time, and this is, you know, uh, a liability of blowing through all the games in short order and trying to put a podcast together. Um, If we'd known that David Johnson was injured on Miles Jack's hit, again, we're not super surprised by that. It was a hell of a shot, Um, but it would have been out of the running because this is not to celebrate players getting hurt. This is good, clean hits. Um, AJ Klein's the winner this week. Uh, A perfect example, nailed Russell Wilson, but hit him in the chest, Uh, rolled him over for a sack and a forced fumble, basically ended the game That's what we want to celebrate with bootleg shot of the week. We won't have nominees this week, of course, as we are going through the rookie recap, but let's get to it. I'm super excited to talk about these guys again because they've put in some tremendous performances this season.
1: Yeah, why don't we start with the... uh... As I, I by the way, I took my shot while you were talking because mm. I totally forgot I was supposed to actually celebrate. Uh, I that's, that's right. I just finished, shot finished mine, week. so we're on the same page. <laughs> I totally downed it. I was kind of breezing through it, um, but I, I I was kind of excited to get to these quarterbacks as soon as I could because number one, no surprise, is Justin Herbert who has been fantastic. Like even among. Uh, this great rookie quarterback class. There's at least three of them with Herbert, Bur- Burrow, and two that we're going to talk about. Um, Herbert has still arguably stood above the rest. He's got seven more touchdowns than Burrow in one less game. Uh, he's been vertically explosive as a passer, like not just in terms of arm talent to get it down the field, but his accuracy down the field, his aggressive mindset. He kind of struggled a little bit against the Dolphins this past week, but really, uh, you know, when you look at the game plan that Brian Flores was using, he was playing a lot more zone than we're used to seeing from Miami because they did they did not want to give uh, Herbert one-on-ones in man coverage down the field because he tears up man coverage by ch- just throwing bomb after bomb after bomb down the field. So they were playing a lot of zone. They actually got him on a pick, uh, kind of dropping into cover three. And I, I think again Herbert's gonna learn from that. But what I love to see is when he does get man coverage, it is bombs away, and he's been so accurate and so gifted on those downfield throws, especially under pressure as well. Uh, man, he's he's fearless, and I love this kid.
0: Yeah, I just I think Don Coriel's just you know hopping up and down uh in his grave because the charges were launched in the old AFL with the complete vertical passing game that was the air system and Justin Herbert embodies the spirit of that system as well as any quarterback in the league right now and I'm including Patrick Mahomes in that in terms of his ability to take vertical shots and win it's just he's at the top tier of the league of guys that will drive the ball down the field and and win and he's doing it down the field a lot of times to receivers who are not top tier and before everybody jumps on me and says wait 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 you said keenan allen was you know one of the best receivers in the NFC west he is but that's typically not who he's driving the ball deep to mike williams is a good deep ball receiver he's not particularly fast he's a great sideline receiver but he's doing it to guys like donald parham
1: right and this is not like a,
0: yeah this, this is, is like an
1: 80 yarder to Guyton against Tampa that was just beautiful yeah it's so much fun to watch
0: and it really is something that sets him apart from most other quarterbacks in the league very few quarterbacks in the league will drive the ball down the field like that and Mahomes will do it you see Rodgers do it Stafford will do it um you know, Russ can do it. He does those big rainbow throws. It was just different with big old Justin Herbert back there, those long levers. Um, it's so much fun to watch a guy that has very little game experience, talking about eight total games in the NFL, and having this much success this early. Uh, a tremendous rate, really good completion percentage coming in, 66-ish, almost 67%. Again, the long 72 yards, only five interceptions, um, 19 touchdowns. That explosion down the field and that big playability, especially in that division, has made the Chargers a whole new team. It's not an element they would have had with Tyrod Taylor, who I actually like, but Herbert brings something special to that offense and it's been fun to watch.
1: Yeah, he can throw like one touchdown a game for the rest of the season and still tie the rookie record for touchdowns. Like he's he's going to break the record as long as he stays healthy. I I firmly believe that. And again, that's a testament to him, it's a testament to his coaching staff. Uh he's he's done excellent. Uh number 2 among quarterbacks we've got is Joe Burrow who's also been amazing statistically, but In some ways, uh, I think he's had individually in a few games some more impressive performances than even Herbert has just because of the relentless pressure he's been under each and every week. His offensive line, neither of these guys' offensive lines are very good, but Burrow, I feel like, has had to kind of turn into an escape artist a lot more often than Herbert has. Burrow's is Uh,
0: measurably worse. We should say this. Yeah, well. Like, LA's is not great. I said LA. I didn't say San Diego. Did you see that? I'm learning. improvement. I know Improvement. improvement. Uh, but Burroughs is measurably worse. The Bengals line has been horrendous to the point where Burroughs been sacked twice as much as Herbert. Like he's played one more game and he's literally been sacked twice as many times, uh, 32 sacks versus 16 straight up double. So the fact that he's had the amount of success that he's had under that sort of, like you said, relentless onslaught of pass rush presser is, I I toyed with putting him in the top spot, Uh, but Herbert's just been so stellar. It, it's a credit to Herbert. It's also a credit to Burrow that he's in that conversation consideration. And look, when Cincinnati puts a line in front of him, they're going to win a lot of games. Joe has been icy this year just as he was at LSU Um, he has his linemen saying things like look he's not a rookie he's a four-year vet like when you stand in the huddle with this guy you feel like he's been around for a while that's an incredible compliment to a signal caller coming into the NFL
1: yeah he's he's a special one this whole class is special but Burrow I think if if you surround him with protection you give Joe Mixon some lanes to run in for once and actually you know activate uh Mixon's potential because again he's he's been another guy who's been a victim so far in his career of this Bengals offensive line which hasn't been good literally ever in Mixon's entire career there you give both of these guys a good line and he's still got Higgins he's got Boyd uh like this 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 offense could be very tantalizing because they're already productive like not hugely productive but considering the circumstances I consider them to be productive like If you just improve the trenches, like I don't care if they use every single draft pick on offensive line. Just do it. Just do it. Just build a line. I don't even care. Because as soon as you get an offensive line, this team's going to win so many games. Uh, and then number three on the list, we've got to talk about Tua, even though he's only started a couple games. Uh, the Dolphins, even though I, th- I felt like they were a capable team under Ryan Fitzpatrick, they look like a legitimately dangerous team. With Tua playing, they've kind of almost morphed their identity a little bit to to be more quick game, you know, spread them out, uh, tempo, 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 all that kind of stuff, and and they're almost going back to like Chan Gailey's roots in terms of uh, you know really leaning into the quick passing game, and uh, Tua has just been a master at operating it. Uh, he's been so efficient, such a quick decision maker. There was a play uh, that was posted by Coach Paul Alexander. Um, I think it was yesterday or something like that, and I I quote tweeted it, but he got a bad snap and then knew from the pre-snap read where his one-on-one was, grabbed the ball quickly, just threw it high at a 20-yard depth saying, you know, that's my safest option to just get the ball out quickly. Worst case scenario, it'll probably be incomplete, and he ended up getting a 23 or 24-yard gain out of it. Again, just with that quick decision-making, the accuracy under pressure from a bad snap, like, it's just, it's little plays like that where a quarterback kind of rescues a bad play and makes it a good play. Like, that's what makes special quarterbacks special. And uh, I think the Dolphins, as a team right now, are a better team than either the Chargers or the Bengals are. Um, and and I think that Tua's efficiency is a big part of that. Absolutely. He's been, he came in under some pressure,
0: right? Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, you know, notably was, was playing well. The Dolphins were playing for him. He was upset, felt like he was playing really well and understands of course that, you know, two is the future and that they've got to see what's going on, but he was, he was wounded by the demotion. So that's a, that's a tough spot for a rookie signal caller to come in to a team that's, you know, had some success is playing well, and, you know, what's this guy got? Is the hip going to hold up the whole bit? And comes in and immediately, like you said, is efficient. It basically lives up almost word for word to his scouting report, which is pre-snap decision-making was elite, quick game, quick distribution, short to mid-range accuracy, extremely high, giving his receivers a chance once they catch the ball. All of that stuff has manifested itself pretty obviously in two weeks. And I think the Dolphins probably feel pretty good about what they've got in hand and know that as long as Tua's health holds up, they really don't need to go get a quarterback. They've got one and they can continue to build a good young foundation. The defense is playing lights out right now. It's going to be a fun team to watch in South Florida for a while. Um, But that's, I think the quarterback class in general, you can say has been very successful. Right. Herbert has been a revelation. Burrow has played amazing in tough circumstances. And I like what you said about too about saving plays. There's been a lot of plays that Joe Burrow has made something out of nothing. Right. Should have been a six mm-hmm. yard sack ended up being a two yard gain on a scramble. It, Burrow's just an incredibly tough competitor. Um, one of my favorite stats about Herbert and Burrow is they both have three rushing touchdowns this season. Right. Both, uh, I think, underrated athletes and and have used that to sort of bolster their game. That's just part of the modern quarterbacking ethos, right, is is mobility helps. Um, being a Chicago fan, watching Nick Foles, I realize that a lack of mobility is is a large detriment.
1: You know, um, that's a great point because when I watch the Bears, in particular when I watch Foles run around there, I, I can't tell you how—it was like I was watching— Football from 20 years ago, like I've become so used to you know watching Deshaun with the Texans, where even just the slightest, you know, he's ridiculous, even just without breaking tackles, though, it's just the ability to step up and then get away from a rush just with speed. And like Nick can't run away from anybody. And like, I again, I feel like I'm watching like football from like 2002 when I watched Nick Foles, where nobody can get away from a, a, you know, a defensive lineman. Whereas now today you look at all these young quarterbacks, uh, you know, it's, it's Allen, it's Deshaun, it's Lamar, it's Mahomes, all these guys can actually move. And obviously Herbert and Burrow and Murray, (laughs) Murray, you know, even Tua to a degree is, is really, really nifty in quick areas. Like he's, he's gotten out of some sacks too, just with short area quickness. Like guys like Nick Foles, I don't unless they're a special thrower and I mean special and special decision-maker like I don't want them because those the the ability to extend a play and rescue it with mobility is too important because if if you don't have a good offensive line guys that are mobile can still at least you know have a functional offense part of the reason why the Bears don't have a functional offense is because they have a one-dimensional quarterback behind a bad offensive line like it is necessary these days for you to be a mobile quarterback. And if you're not a mobile quarterback, like to me, that tanks your value almost entirely.
0: Yeah, it's difficult. And I look at guys like Luton, who just got his first start for Jacksonville, uh, last week. And look, Luton is a very good thrower. Uh, he's a pretty good spot thrower and he actually had a rush touchdown. So he's got a little bit more mobility than Nick Foles, but overall is that going to be his game? Can he move within the pocket? Again, that short area quickness to get away from rushers, And again, if he can't, that's why a guy like that's going to go in the later rounds, because he just doesn't bring that dimension to your offense. When I look at Nick Foles, I really see Drew Bledsoe, and I know that harkens back. That's a a long time ago now, but big, tall guy, throws the ball pretty well, especially down the sideline, but can't really move. Uh, And that kind of thing is the game has evolved past that, so... Speaking of guys who can really move, let's talk about running backs because you know I love running backs. Uh, we did a lot of work yes, on you running do. backs. And James Robinson is in our top spot. James Robinson has been kind of a bolt out of the blue. I thought he was a good back coming out. I thought he was a great sort of late-round platoon type, you know, excellent UDFA choice if you could grab him. He's a pounder. He has good vision. Solid feet, not a ton of burst, but he ran really hard, very strong back. He has exploded with Jacksonville, almost 700 yards rushing, five touchdowns, averaging four and a half per carry, along long of 39, which I think that would have surprised me coming into the season. Um, also, 29 receptions, that definitely would have surprised me. It was not that he couldn't catch the ball, but he definitely wasn't used that way in college. Another 228 yards through the air, and two TDs there, so seven TDs overall. Um, you know, just about 700 yards rushing, just over 200 receiving. That's a ton of production, and Jacksonville really hasn't missed Leonard Fournette at all with the addition of James Robinson. And if you look at their relative draft position, that's how you build teams, right? You don't pick that running back up mm-hmm. high whose production is very similar to a guy that you can get in the fifth of the sixth. Now if you've got a special back, the Alvin Kamara's of the world or the CMC, sure, go ahead and pick them high, run them through their first contract, no problem. But if you can get a guy, and you can, like James Robinson, who's going to come in and you know power the offense along when you need those tough yards, he's also you know a threat when he leaks out uh, on routes, that's a tremendous contribution to your team for not very much uh, either draft capital or free agency money.
1: Yeah, I mean the guy he's on pace for over sixteen hundred yards and twelve touchdowns. Like and you're you're getting that for basically no money. Uh whereas some other running backs like say Saquon Barkley, where you're taking him number two overall, he's got like a thirty million dollar guaranteed contract, and you're getting basically sixteen hundred yards and twelve touchdowns. Like that's what you're hoping for. You know, but Robinson's making I don't know, twenty nine less million dollars. <laughs> About, so it's, yep. It, 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 it's kind of a testament to even the really, really special ones don't don't draft running back early because you can get James Robinson every year. Like, there's there's always one every year. Like when um, when see Alfred Morris in 2012, like 1600 yards as a rookie. Yeah. Uh, when Philip Lindsay came out. Philip Lindsay, when Zeke came out, he's the fourth overall pick, and he was the number one rusher in the NFL. And number two was Jordan Howard, fifth-round pick. Like, it, it, again, there's always one every single year, and this year it's James Robinson. He's been a phenomenal player. Uh, again, just ultra, ultra physical as a runner. Uh, he's got 689 on the ground, and I, I would be willing to bet that a significant chunk of those is just coming from falling through tackles cuz the dude doesn't go backwards when people hit him like he's he's pretty crazy strong. Uh, so I'm I've been really uh, pleasantly surprised by him. Again, I had the same kind of grade as you. He was like, "Okay, day 3 guy, you know, he's your number 2 back. You bring him in for short yardage and goal line or like the fourth quarter to wear people down. I wasn't sure um if he could be like that true number 1 three down back, but I'll be damned. He's he's done the role, and he's done it very, very well. So big ups to James Robinson. Uh, Number two on the list is Clyde Edward-Tillaire. Excuse me. Uh, No surprise there. We both loved Clyde coming out. He's a first-round pick for a reason. Uh, We haven't really seen him get involved as much as a receiver as maybe we thought. Like, he's on pace for about 60 receptions, which is not bad. But this is a guy who we thought could have caught... 90 balls as a rookie and kind of, you know, challenged Reggie Bush's, you know, rookie record for receptions there. So I do feel like Kansas City maybe isn't using him completely up to his potential as a receiver, but at least as a runner, he's been very, very efficient, almost five yards a carry. There's been a few signature games where the passing game either wasn't working or, They just kind of wanted to play a little bit more ball control. Houston's a great example in week one where they were just pounding, pounding, pounding with the run game. Clyde's been a true three down back for them in that way. Uh, So I I think he's honestly a fantastic football player. And again, especially once they start getting him really revved up in the receiving game, Uh, maybe we'll see that in the back half of the season or hopefully in the playoffs. Uh, Once we see that element of his game unlocked, which we saw on full display at LSU, I think He's going to go from being a a really good running back to a really really great running back.
0: Yeah, and this is a this is one of those times when it's it's time to talk about the landing spot. And we both thought that Kansas City was a perfect landing spot for his skills and abilities. But when you're talking about his production, it's actually a bit of a negative. If Clyde Edwards Hilaire was Jacksonville's running back, I don't doubt that he would have 700 yards on the ground and probably 300 through the air that would not mm-hmm. be at all surprising to me but kansas city has so many ways to score that clyde edwards helaire even though he is as excellent as he is only has three touchdowns because they can score to hardman to hill to kelsey to i mean there's so many guys in that offense that can score that edwards helaire doesn't have to um the yeah. what really sort of caught me was looking at James Robinson's receiving stats and Clyde edwards Lair's receiving stats there's one reception difference Robinson has 29 edwards E'Laire has 28 the yards difference four yards 228 to 224 mm-hmm. the touchdowns one to two the yards per reception eight to 7.9 and the long 24 to 28 right they basically are the exact same player in the receiving game um but again Clyde Edwards Laird you know top round pick James Robinson fifth or sixth round pick but the production has a lot to do with where they landed as a player and I think you're right there are gonna be games where Edwards Laird carries the Chiefs because he has that kind of ability but he doesn't have to right now because they just have so
1: many other weapons um, now I will say number third on the list, kind of our honorable mention here is Antonio Gibson, who was way more raw as a prospect, I would say than obviously Clyde or Robinson, because he was kind of new to the position. He didn't really get full-time snaps at running back till the last two games of his college career, but he was an exceptional athlete, more athletic than either of these two guys by a mile. Um, you know, just huge guy, 220, running four, four had receiving skills like, he was he was everything that you would hope an athlete at the running back position could be in terms of size speed versatility but he hadn't really played the position so he didn't really know what to expect all of a sudden throughout the summer and then in camp it it, it kind of starts creeping up like hey this Antonio Gibson kid he's he's gonna be something here uh, and then there were some roster moves made uh the who's the LSU kid that got Geis. arrested and Guys, you know the Geist thing happened. All of a sudden, everybody's like, "Okay, maybe maybe Gibson's going to get you know more of a shot here." And then all of a sudden, he ended up as the number one runner on the team, even though even over Adrian Peterson, who uh, is no longer there now. He's in Detroit, and so he kind of went from like an unknown, maybe kind of sort of quantity to the number one guy in like a span of three weeks, and he's absolutely crushed the role their offensive line isn't great at run blocking but he's still getting over four yards a clip uh you know breaking tackles like crazy again i kind of expected a little bit more receiving production from him considering his background as a receiver but uh, they have other backs on the roster that they like throwing passes to um, the uh mckissick uh, JD mckissick like they're just throwing like 10 targets a game at him so uh, i i i understand why they're not throwing it more to him. A little bit in that regard but I, I would like to see him get more involved as a receiver um, but as a runner he's run extremely strong again he's breaking tackles he's showed burst to the edge like we're we're kind of seeing what he can be here and it's all of a sudden going from you know maybe he'll work out to very quickly he's definitely working out so big ups to Antonio Gibson again for a guy who's new to the position coming in and, and being a really damn good football player as a rookie
0: yeah, he's got 436 yards, like you said, uh, on the ground. He's over four yards a clip. Uh, a long of 40, so that shows that burst. But again, we go right back to the receiving yards, right? We'll look at James Robinson. 29 receptions for Robinson, 26 for Gibson. 228 yards for Robinson, 202 for Gibson, the average 7.9 for Robinson 7.8 for Gibson. It's amazing how similar these three guys are in the passing game and, and what that role of a modern running back is in the passing game in the NFL, but Gibson really learning into the position again, had an extremely small number of carries in college as a running back and was drafted. And, and to Washington's credit, They said from day one, nope, he's not a receiver. He's not a gadget player. He's going to be running back for us. And they, again, were projecting the athletic ability to the position. And running back is a position where athletic ability translates very clearly early. Uh, And Gibson has embodied that. And the scary thing about Gibson, as you said, his line is not terrific. It's not terrible um, at run blocking, but it's not exceptional. And... With that little experience, he's still figuring out which hole is going to open when. Should I be patient? Should I push? Uh, is this a time I go try and break a tackle or should I bust it outside and see if I can get around the edge? He's still learning into that piece of the position and just really heavily relying on athleticism right now. When those things click together and the athleticism is still there, Gibson's gonna be one to watch he's gonna be an incredibly productive player he already has been for the situation he was drafted into and the experience he had but it's it's just the arrows only pointing up for gibson going forward
1: yeah if this is the absolute worst he ever plays they're gonna be fine he's he's <laughs> they're gonna it.
0: be happy is what they're gonna be
1: if they're gonna be the worst so happy
0: plays. so we need to work into wide receiver because wide receiver was historic we talked about it all through our draft coverage this class was literally historically loaded with talent you were going to get guys in the fifth and sixth round that were going to produce at a level of first and second rounders in any other draft and we were not alone in this Daniel Jeremiah said the same thing Bucky Brooks said the same thing Matt Miller said the same thing everybody knew that there was just loaded wide receiver talent we saw it at the senior bowl um We need to talk about how it's worked out, but one guy has elevated himself above the rest, and this came up uh, in a tweet from Jordan Reed from the Draft Network this week. He was talking about Justin Jefferson and how Justin Jefferson was a guy that he underappreciated a little bit until he went to the combine and saw him physically in the flesh because of his role at LSU right he was in the slot which wasn't necessarily his greatest thing and I actually tweeted back this is very similar to the Justin Herbert discussion right Oregon didn't use Justin Herbert to go vertically down the field so a lot of people rated him not on ability but on the system because that's the tape you have to look at and Jefferson suffered from a little bit of the same thing he was not talked about at the top tier he was sort of fourth on most people's lists or maybe fifth or sixth depending on which which wide receiver ranking you looked at through the early going the clear leader at wide receiver 42 receptions 762 yards three touchdowns 18.1 yard average per catch let me repeat that rookie wide receiver On a team with talent at wide receiver, still has Adam Thielen at at wide receiver, 18.1 yard average. Every time he catches the ball, he's going roughly 20 yards. That's insanity, right, in terms of production.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's top, uh, among wide receivers, he's top five or six in the league, in terms of receiving yards. The only guys that are ahead of him right now are all established stars, or in the case of Robbie Anderson, somebody who always had a high ceiling, but he was on the Jets, and now he's no longer on the Jets. So we're finally seeing <laughs> that. So that's the that. opposite of a high ceiling. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's a high But, floor. you know, he, the only guys ahead of him right now are Stephon Diggs, who's playing out of his mind, DeAndre Hopkins, who's DeAndre Hopkins, DK Metcalf, again, having a crazy season, Terry McLaurin, Robbie Anderson, and then I guess you could say Travis Kelsey if you want to count him as a wide receiver. But, I mean, he's just kind of in a league of his own as a tight end. But after that, it's Justin Jefferson. Like, all those established stars, he's out producing them. Like, he's had a crazy year. And they, he didn't even really get involved for, like, the first kind of, you know, week or two of the season before he finally had the the huge breakout. It was either week two or week three, I think. But, like, week one, he wasn't super involved. So again, he's he's kind of uh, he's almost doing the same thing that Stefan Diggs uh, did when he was a rookie in Minnesota, which is they it took a while to get Diggs involved, and then once he started getting more snaps, you never got him off the field again. The exact same thing has happened with Jefferson, where it's like once he finally got on the field and showed like, hey, I'm whooping all these dudes, you know, then he kind of took the number one role from Adam Thielen. Like to me, I consider Jefferson to be the number one receiver there now. He is faster. He's quicker. Uh, you know, route running, I think you could probably put him on equal plane. Like Thielen's a great route runner. Jefferson, even as a rookie, is a phenomenal route runner as well. But he he has everything that Thielen has, but just more physical talent. So to me, he's the guy in Minnesota. And there's not a whole lot of rookie wide receivers that can go in and take Adam Thielen's job in their first five or six games. Like that's an incredible accomplishment in its own right. So again, Justin Jefferson, he's on kind of a different plane of existence to the rest of this rookie class. He's having very much like an Odell Beckham Jr. or Stephon Diggs level rookie year. And that's saying a lot because both of those guys had two of the greatest rookie seasons in the history of the sport. Jefferson's right there with him.
0: And this class, again, is loaded with talent. Loaded. And to have one guy who was not necessarily considered top one, top two top three right typically he was not in the top three the the earliest spot you typically saw him was fourth and it was kind of like oh these other three guys and then there's a gap and then and a little bit of a gap and then you know there was a mess of other guys but you would start to see Justin Jefferson's name fourth fifth sixth seventh right in that range and to have that guy come in and again come into an established receiving rotation Adam Thielen is a is a high quality professional receiver and a very good route runner a very productive player and Jefferson is matching and exceeding that he has absolutely broken defenders ankles his routes are incredibly sharp he showed speed he showed the ability to get up at high point the ball physically um just sort of no no limit to what Justin Jefferson can do and yes I absolutely uh call him the number one in minnesota and as a bears fan it's a bit of a bummer because he's he's going to be a tough cover for years to come he is super talented um very well rounded as a receiver um and is going to produce for years and years to come the second name on our list is a bit more of a surprise a guy I had a rated a little bit lower because he was more one-dimensional uh but t higgins has been better, quicker than I assumed he would be. He's got forty catches, six hundred and three yards, four touchdowns, a fifteen yard average, and is absolutely clicking with Joe Burrow. Uh I liked the selection at the time. I thought it was a good value. I definitely thought Burrow needed some additional weapons. I did not think that Higgins was going to sort of dominate on the outside right off and that's exactly what he's done.
1: Well you know when obviously we knew Burrow was going to go number one, but I remember in the draft live stream when Higgins got taken, we're like, oh, that's the perfect spot for him because he needs a guy that can throw a really good fade. He needs somebody who knows how to elevate the ball and place it correctly so that his skill set can really shine. And I remember we were thinking, like, obviously there's a lot of established veterans that that would work with, but among young quarterbacks, like very few of them throw as good of a jump ball as Joe Burrow. You know, I I would say Kyler and probably Watson are like the two other young guys under 26 that I think throw that good of a jump ball. Um, I guess you could say Herbert now too, but like Higgins was a a perfect match for Burrow from day one. I think the only thing that surprises me is that he immediately carved out that role and kind of, took it from everybody else on the team. Like I thought he would kind of get worked in kind of like in the mold of like Josh Reynolds with the Rams where it's like, you know, he's really good, but there's all these other really good guys too. So he's still going to be the wide receiver for like not nah, Higgins got in the field pretty much immediately and you can't get him off. He's on pace for, it's like 11 or 1200 yards. Uh, and around eight touchdowns as a rookie, which is insane. Like, that in itself would be an incredible rookie season, like, arguably better than AJ Green's rookie season, Julio's rookie season. Like, that in itself would be crazy. And the fact that he's doing that while sharing the room with uh Tyler Boyd and uh and AJ Green, who's not the same anymore, but still, like, he he came into a receiving room that already had a lot of guys there and immediately took over that role. Again, it, it's extraordinarily impressive, just like Jefferson was impressive for coming in and, and being the number one almost right away. Like, these, these receivers are, there's something else.
0: Yeah, I really figured Higgins would have a more specialized role coming in, that he would be more of a red zone guy, jump ball guy, fade guy to the corner um you know need a third down put it along the sideline let him get it and you know then he'll come out or be you know the number three or like you said the number four wide receiver he is clearly the number two there if not the number one Boyd is a very good receiver but a different kind of receiver and and plays more comfortably from the slot Higgins is there starting alpha outside right now because AJ Green is like you said not the same and that It's just such a cool relationship to see developing between quarterback and wide receiver with Burrow and Higgins. Those guys are going to be up there. If they both end up staying on the same team for a long time, we're going to see their names linked together in those classic quarterback-wide receiver combinations of yards and touchdowns. They're going to be up there because they've established a relationship quickly. They're both being very productive and as long as they both stay in Cincinnati for a while, they're going to be on those lists. They're that
1: good. See, what's funny is when you go through, like, the list of, uh, you know, receiving yardage leaders in the league right now, Tyler Boyd is 20, T. Higgins is 21. Like, they're within 22 yards of each other, which is, again, crazy. Like, even though uh, Boyd has, like, 20 more catches than Higgins, obviously Higgins is average because he's a really good deep uh, deep ball threat, is higher uh, but again, the, Burrow's ability to kind of spread the ball around and split production between these two is, oh man, I, I just I, I get really excited about this Bengals offense because I know they're so close to being so good. Like you have a quarterback, you have weapons, just get the offensive line and these kids are going to destroy people. I just know it. Can we ask Santa? To get the Bengals
0: an offensive line.
1: (laughs) All I want for Christmas Santa
0: is for the Bengals to get an offensive line just so I can see Joe Burrow go off. It's not that I'm a Bengals fan, but that would be amazing. Um, In our third and fourth spots, uh, and you said, wait, you said you're going to talk about top three, EJ. Why do you have four? Well, we've got a bit of a – this is our first conundrum, right? There's always going to be a, you know, what do you hold higher – uh, as a production stat, or you know, what do you think is worth more? And this is a classic uh, conversation between CD Lamb, who is was easily in one of the top three receivers all the way through, all the way in the process, deserved to be. So CD Lamb hits Dallas, uh, plays with Dak for a while. It looks to be a very solid part of a very good receiving core with Amari Cooper and Gallup. And he's got 44 receptions, 595 yards, three touchdowns, because again, they're spreading the ball around in Dallas, and Dak got hurt. He's a 13.1-yard average, which is still really good for a rookie wide receiver. What is this guy, (laughs) Chewbacca? Rookie wide receiver. But... In Pittsburgh, we've got this other guy that I was convinced should be a move tight end, and then he went to the combine and ran Megatron numbers, and everybody said, nope, nope, should be a wide receiver. I hope everybody understands why that is, right? If you can be a wide receiver in the National Football League, you be a wide receiver. It's kind of like if you can be a cornerback, yeah. you be a cornerback. You don't be a safety. And the reason is pay scale. <laughs> Safeties don't get met, get paid as much as corners, Wide receivers get paid way more than tight ends, So if you can be that, you be that, right? It's like, unless you can be Batman, then always be Batman. (laughs) But Chase Claypool making a huge noise uh, in Pittsburgh on only 35 catches, so less than CDs 44, but 500 yards, 95 yards short. The big difference is the touchdown production. Seven TDs versus CDs three and a full yard more per catch 14.3 versus 13.1 so chase claypool uh, obviously has authored a lot of sort of high octane highlights you've seen most of them if you've been watching red zone or any of the wrap-up shows so this comes down to a classic conversation of do you value the sort of yards more and catches or do you value the explosive plays for touchdowns and any average per catch um, so we put them both on there. I'm fine with sort of letting the listeners, readers vote for this and saying, "Hey, I like CD more." And if Dak had stayed there, blah blah blah. Chase has had his quarterback. That's fine. These are the classic arguments that we would typically, in a non-COVID environment, sit around a table at a bar and talk about. Like, no, CD's having the better season. No, no, you're crazy. Chase is having the better season. It's just about who you value more. And the bottom line is, if you're an NFL fan. You're enjoying all of this. CD has played great. Chase has been a revelation. Like there's no losing here.
1: Yeah, I they're both just tremendous receivers. And I will say I feel bad for CD in the sense that I think he was on pace for again another one of those historic Odell type rookie seasons. He was on pace for almost 1400 yards before Dak got hurt now in the last 4 games since dak got hurt he's getting 40 yards a game if he's lucky like it's it, the quarterback struggles for dallas since dak got hurt and then andy got hurt and then Danucci was bad like you know you're on your fourth quarterback by week 9 something like that like it's really had a huge negative impact on what was shaping up to be a phenomenal rookie year for cd lamb you know we would be talking about him production wise right with Justin Jefferson if Dak was still playing. So that's unfortunate for him. But I think in those first five games, we saw the kind of guy that CD is. We know he's good. We know he's really, really, really good. Great route runner, a huge, huge target in the slot. He's kind of fit that big slot role immediately. He's a warrior over the middle. I mean, he's taken some crushing shots and then popped right back up which is kind of surprisingly like, considering his frame like he's a pretty slender guy but i mean he just eats contact up it's pretty crazy how tough he is as a run after the catch how good he is at just taking shots over the middle like he's uh he's a natural chain mover in that big slot position and then Claypool who i actually thought was going to be mostly a big slot for Pittsburgh has kind of been on, uh, you know at home on the outside you know, he's he's done really good work in the red zone. He's been a good deep threat at times. Uh, they've gotten him involved kind of in, this, uh, in the screen game a few times, especially also down in the red zone because he's a pretty powerful runner. They've almost got uh, different or opposite roles, I should say, from what I expected pre-draft, but, you know, they're both killing it. They're both absolutely killing it. I think Steelers fans are happy. I think Cowboys fans are happy. Uh, I think Bengals fans are happy and obviously I think Vikings fans are happy too. Pretty much everybody that drafted a receiver high is happy today other than maybe the Eagles because Jalen Rager got hurt uh, and he was off the field for a while. But I still have faith that Jalen Rager is going to be a pretty good player. So I I don't really think anybody, uh, at least anybody from this receiver class is looking like an outright bust, which is saying a lot because normally in like the top 10, like you'll see a few that, that just don't have it. When you look at the top 10 receivers that went, though, you know, Judy's looking great. All the guys we talked about look great. Hamler's made some moves. LaVisca's had some plays. Like, I can't think of a highly drafted receiver. Ayuka's another one as well. I can't think of a highly drafted receiver in this class that hasn't already shown they were worth the pick.
0: And then you've got Darnell Mooney. I'm just saying you know, yeah. Fifth right. rounders are you're making right. noise too, which we said was going to happen in this draft. We said that folks taking lower down, uh, there was just so much talent and you know, you can't pick a wide receiver for the first three rounds, every team. So there was going to be some guys that dropped down the board that had incredible talent. Mooney fits that as well, but I'm with you. The top of this, you know, extremely wide receiver, heavy draft has been very, very productive in general and will continue to be for years. So it's, it's just a happy thing for the league.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a good time to be a football fan, that's for sure. Uh, and with that, before we move on to tight end, and I say that singularly for a reason, I do want to thank our sponsor for the week, and that's Mack Weldon. They're back once again because you guys already showed them so much support, and so they wanted to come back and show us some support as well. If you don't know who they are, Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart designs and high-quality fabrics in everything they make. They offer a one-stop shop for all of men's basics, socks, shirts, hoodies, underwear, polos, active shorts, whatever you need in a wide variety of customizable fabrics like Air Knit X, Dry Knit, and Warm Knit, MAC Weldon has you covered. They also created a totally free loyalty program called Weldon Blue, and Level 1 gets you access to free shipping for life. And then once you reach level two, by spending at least $200, Mac Weldon gives you 20% off of every order for the remainder of the next year. Speaking from personal experience, uh, I use the uh, Ace hoodie, the full zip one, all the time, but I haven't got to wear it in a while because my wife steals it all the time. She uses it as kind of like her sleep hoodie because it's extremely soft. One day, I'll get to wear it again. And EJ, I know you got a whole bunch of stuff too. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I got the Airnet X boxers. I love those things. If they are clean, I am putting them on. They are incredibly comfortable. All day wear, not a problem. Lots of ventilation. One of my favorite pairs of underwear. And the other thing I got was one of their polos, and that is my go-to shirt for big days at work. Love it. It's easy to care for,
1: easy to wear all day. Couldn't be happier with it. If you guys want to check out anything that Mack Weldon has to offer, you can get 20% off your first order at macweldoncom slash bootleg and enter promo code bootleg. Again, for 20% off your first order, visit macweldoncom slash bootleg, promo code bootleg. And with that, EJ, uh, let's talk about the one tight end, at least among rookies, that we think is worth talking about. We had a whole bunch of wide receivers, only one tight end, and that's Harrison Bryant up in Cleveland, who inexplicably went in the fourth round. To this day, we still don't know why because we loved him and thought he was going to be at minimum a day two pick. Probably like second rounder, I think, is what you know, kind of you and I thought he would land in. And for him to go all the way in the fourth round and then immediately prove to be a really nice uh, contributor for the Cleveland Browns as a rookie, as a tight end, which is a position that traditionally you don't see rookies pop in that often, Uh, Again, Harrison Bryant, extremely impressive. Looking really good, and tight end has been a wasteland. If you're a fantasy football player,
0: you're aware that 2020 has not been the year of the tight end. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is Travis Kelsey. We talked about him earlier in the podcast. He's a bit of a mutant, alien, whatever you want to call him. He's always going to produce, and he's got Patrick Mahomes throwing to him. But in terms of rookie tight ends, we cautioned you in our preview shows that rookie tight ends typically, historically, don't produce a lot. And that's been the case this year, but also established tight end. They've had their days, they've had their games. Uh, We had that Tyler Higby, you know, two or three touchdown game for the Rams. But in general, in terms of yards, it's been not what it has been in years past tight end production has dropped league wide and really the only rookie tight end with stats to speak of harrison bryant in cleveland 15 for 151 yards three tds and that's kind of it after that the rookie tight end production drops off the mat cole Komet has not been tremendous he's not gotten a lot of opportunity quite frankly in chicago Lots of other tight ends that people were super excited about have been very quiet, haven't started, haven't had a ton of production, haven't had a ton of targets. And it's a little bit funny that Harrison Bryant gets production because Cleveland's tight end room was loaded. They went out and got Hooper in free agency, they had David Njoku in house. Like Harrison Bryant looked to have sort of the least path to success for rookie tight ends in terms of folks in front of him for playing time, ends up Coming in combination of injury and, you know, just the right time, uh, right play call ends up with, you know, so far 151 yards and three TDs, which is, you know, not a lot to shake the tree in terms of production. But after that, if you're looking at rookie tight ends, there is nothing. It is a vast desert.
1: Yeah. and, And for a rookie tight end in that tight end room to be that productive in a position that's normally not productive as a rookie, like, it's very rare that you get a Hunter Henry who's putting up 800 yards in his first year. Like, that's extraordinarily rare for the position. So by tight end complete standards, outlier, complete <laughs> outlier. So by tight end standards, like this is a good start for the year. If he ends up with like 400 yards and six touchdowns, that's already better than I think most people expected. But I think what he's shown from his skill set perspective is he's going to be on this team. Uh, When they're in 12 personnel, a lot. like He's going to be their move tight end. He could play a little bit of Y for them. Uh, I think he's going to be a key contributor in the red zone for many, many, many years because he's a really good separator. Uh, He's very good at kind of working in tight areas, great body control as a receiver. Again, he's just a pure tight end, Uh, and I really can't wait to see where his career goes because, again, it's only going to go up from here. Absolutely. And it's time to move on to a category that you did a ton of work
0: on. And a lot of these guys are really excited about because for a long time in the National Football League, there was a shortage of good offensive tackles. And based on the last draft class, that was not the case. We had four Mm -hmm. or five sort of blue chip talents that we were really excited about and a bunch of other folks that we thought would contribute over time. And We've not been disappointed with one of our prime targets, Makai Becton, playing for the Jets. He's been injured, but boy, when he's been healthy, he has been an eraser in what is a toxic waste dump of an offense with Adam Gase and Dow Loggins, but not to the fault of Mekhi Becton. He has been as advertised, and I would say better than advertised, and he had a lot of hype, but he's only allowed 12 pressures even in that cesspool and three sacks despite being injured if they protect him and keep him healthy there is nothing but an arrow pointing up for makai Bechton
1: you could argue that he's already the best player on the team because and maybe when jamal adams uh if he was still there jamal would be the best player but now that jamal isn't there even quinn and williams like i, I can't think of anybody that's better at their position, at their job, than Mackay Becton is at playing left tackle, and that's saying a lot. Like he's a phenomenal talent, and even though he has been injured, he's been dealing with that shoulder injury for weeks and weeks and weeks now. Only giving up twelve pressures is is really impressive. Like I don't think we we're talking enough about how good this guy is, even playing at not a hundred percent strength. Like, I truly think that he can be not just there next to Brickashaw Ferguson, but better than to Brickashaw Ferguson. And that's saying a lot because Brick was awesome.
0: Yeah, that that's a guy I think of. And this seems to be a very Jets thing. There are definitely franchises that draft players in a certain way and they last a certain amount of time and play at a certain level. And the Jets, you know, standard setter, at the position that McKay Beckton plays was DeBrickashaw Ferguson and you know they got him up high he came in he started early he was a stalwart for you know 10 plus years and Beckton looks like that but Beckton has more physical talent which is amazing because DeBrickashaw Ferguson yeah. again started at left tackle for an NFL franchise for more than 10 years at a very high level that's a crazy thing to say about a rookie but you know, Becton is a house for those of you that don't follow the draft. McKay Becton is a massive individual, even amongst NFL players who tend to be massive individuals. Becton is is huge, uh, but does not move like that. Has tremendous movement skills, incredible physical size, and he's lived up to all the pre-draft hype and then some.
1: The fact that he has Orlando pace upside And that he's well on his way to meeting that upside says a lot for how just incredibly good he's been. Uh, And speaking of upside, by the way, the number two tackle on this list, Tristan Wirfs, another just freak of nature in terms of uh, bulk and speed and fluidity. I had a little, a few concerns about him technique wise coming out. I felt like he gave up inside moves a little bit too easily, gave kind of a soft shoulder to the inside. He would turn his feet a little bit too much. Again, it was more of a, a, I guess you could say a technical disagreement with how he was coached at Iowa. Um, But he, he has not had that problem in the NFL. I feel like he's Really improved his power step to the inside. His his inside shoulder is not soft anymore, so he's not giving up those inside moves. Uh, He he has given up more pressures than Beckton, about 18 pressures, but he's only given up one sack. And I think that kind of speaks to his ability to really anchor. Like Even if he loses a rep early, he's able to then re-anchor and then win the rep late. Kind of goes back to his wrestling background a little bit. Uh, also been just a phenomenal run blocker especially on zone like when he's in the front side i mean he kicks out the edge super super easily Uh, he's been not just one of the best rookie uh, tackles but one of the best right tackles period in the league so again golf clap to trips and tristan excuse me for uh not just meeting his potential but i think potentially even exceeding his potential
0: yeah, this is a scouting lesson for me because we definitely placed uh an emphasis on technique and we both had questions about his technique. Thought that he would be more dominant at guard because of the obvious physical gifts. This guy is a he's a freak freak. Um even amongst, you know, world-class athletes that is the NFL, Worf stands head and shoulders above them in terms of his power, his explosion, his vertical jump, his speed is ridiculous. Watching this guy at his size run the 40 was just jaw-dropping. We thought, wow, that's great. But we knew that tackle was based largely on technique. And strangely enough, yes, his technique's gotten slightly better, but it's a reminder to me that this is a pass-first league and athleticism is king at tackle right? You need those physical skills. You need to be able to move your feet or you need to have a trump card like Orlando Brown Jr. where you're just a massive strong guy with a huge wingspan and very tough to move. There are different ways to win, but Worfs is so physically gifted and watching him on most of his pass block snaps, he uses that combination of mobility and massive strength and technique is slightly less important which sounds kind of the inverse is true. We thought it tackle, but it turns out in practice, he is managing just fine because he is so good athletically. And yes, he's improved his technique a little bit. That's a credit to his coaches and to him for buckling down and making that happen. But uh, he has been more than making up for it. And then you get him in a run block, you know, one-on-one with a linebacker and he's just licking his chops because he's going to bury him.
1: Yeah. Um, third guy on the list who even though Becton's been really impressive and Wurfs has obviously been really impressive too the third guy on the list is somebody that nobody really talked about going into this season because he wasn't taken in the first round with all these other offensive linemen but it just in terms of pure production he's been better than Beckton. he's been better than Wurfs he's been better than Jedrick Wills and that's Michael and Wenu, uh, the rookie guard slash tackle, I guess you could say, for the New England Patriots. He's played three different spots for them so far, but he's started the last four games out of six starts total at right tackle, uh, and he's really locked that position down. He's only given up seven pressures this entire season. Again, Beckton's given up 12 in limited action because of injury. Worse has given up 18. Even Jedrick Wills, who's having a great year as well, has given up 11 pressures. On Wenu, seven. In the last four games, he's averaging less than one pressure given up per game. And what's kind of crazy about him is, you know, he's built like a brick shithouse. Everybody thought he was going to be, you know, 100% a guard because he's 6'3", like 345. I remember in the draft room, we were talking about him where he's just like the round mound of destruction. And I did not imagine him playing tackle. But the thing is, when you're that strong and you have really good natural leverage because you're kind of a shorter guy and you have length, he's got 34 and a half inch arms as well. If you could just land the punch, there's kind of nothing anybody can do because you're too short to really dig out with leverage. You're too long for them to handle. And again, you're 345. Good luck trying to bull rush that. Like he's got kind of unique. Physical profile for a right tackle but he really makes it work absolutely
0: and this is the biggest difference between uh pre-draft projection versus post-draft production on one who is that bet that pays off that's like 27 to 1 uh drafted in the lower rounds goes to an organization that's a good fit that understands what his strengths are is not afraid to move him around a lot of organizations when they get a rookie especially in the offensive line will say look get him in a spot have him learn a spot don't move him around don't overwhelm him patriots are like baloney put him at right guard put him at left guard put him at right tackle no problem uh you know and he has been as you said stellar so it's a guy drafted in lower rounds in this talent rich draft at offensive line didn't get a lot of pre-draft buzz and has played obviously to that but quite frankly well above it and this is that long shot that pays off and the patriots are going to be benefiting from this move from for years to come
1: yeah he's just he's been phenomenal and Something about in the New England uh, scouting department, man, they find a lot of hidden gems uh, in the offensive line. Uh, you know, Isaiah Wynn was not seen of as a super uh, high quality tackle prospect. A lot of people projected him to guard because of size. Again, he's another he's their left tackle, and even though he had a lot better movement skills than a Wenu, when's the last time you saw a team with two starting tackles that were 6'3 or shorter? New England's got that right now. And it's kind of crazy how they're making it work. You know, they're really prioritizing uh, leverage and hand placement at the tackle position. And again, it's working for them. You know, you got David Andrews, who is an undrafted free agent. Uh, Shaq Mason, who was super raw coming out and they turned him into a really good guard. Like this team, even after uh, the Dante Scarnecchia era, has found a way to find undervalued offensive linemen and develop them into Pro Bowl caliber players. And again, just a credit to the organization for doing that because it's it's kind of a specialty of theirs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You got Karis, you got Joe Tunney, you got... Yes, Just yes. the list goes on. Uh, their entire offensive line is pretty much comprised of those guys. So occasionally they'll grab a guy high, especially a tackle, but their ability to find guys like Onwenu and get maximum value out of them is special it's different you do not see a lot of um teams in the national Football league with that ability so with that we should move on to the other side of the ball we're finally on to defense it's only an hour and 12 in we're doing pretty good
1: Oh well, uh, well we we forgot one thing almost oh. at defense oh no no oh sorry we got interior offensive line I skipped I
0: skipped a section my bad and I don't want to skip this there almost because there. <laughs> this is a guy we talked about our lead spot in the interior offensive line yes we grouped guards and centers together sorry if you don't appreciate that uh is kevin dodson in pittsburgh yes and this guy was a mauler he was um hunts running mate down at louisiana he was on the inside he got a little bit less but we called this guy out several times uh, in our draft podcast and said, keep an eye on this guy. He's got talent. He's an absolute bulldozer, uh, physical specimen. He ends up going to Pittsburgh, which is a perfect spot for him. Like their offensive line ethos mentality, whatever you want to say fits dots into a T and that's a great match of scouting and scheme. Now he hasn't played a ton. He didn't start he has 99 pass blocking snaps he has something like 190 overall he's allowed one pressure and if you told me yeah. <laughs> on his tape that in a hundred pass blocking snaps he would allow one pressure i would have said eh, no, he's more of a run blocking guy right dodson has been uh just a revelation in pittsburgh the fact that That level of efficiency, one pressure per 99 pass blocking snaps, that ratio destroys any of the other guys. And we're going to talk about some other guards who've been very good in their rookie season. Dotson, that's crazy. And it's a big enough sample size. It's not massive, but it is certainly a big enough sample size to say, whoa, this guy is probably better in this role than we gave him credit for.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's played four games. Uh, you know, when David DeCastro was out, and how often does a great guard like David DeCastro, one of the better pass-protecting right guards in the entire league, when you lose him and then your rookie backup is even more efficient in pass protection. You know how insane that is for them to literally not skip a beat at all while losing an elite right guard? Just incredible. Incredible that they got him. Uh, And it... I'm I'm actually kind of curious to see if maybe they start giving him some run at left guard. Because obviously, if David's healthy, you want David on the field. You want your best five guys to be on the field. And for me, I, I truly think they might start looking at him to maybe compete for the starting left guard spot sooner rather than later. Because again, one pressure in 99 pass blocking snaps across four games. That's like half a series for Andrew Thomas. Like, it, it's crazy. Like, Andrew Thomas has given up... 44 pressures this year. That's four times more than Jedrick Wills or Makai Becton. And Dotson's, uh, you know, at one. It's, it, oh my God, it's just incredible numbers. It's mind-blowing numbers. Like Quentin, uh, Quentin Nelson is having one of the greatest pass-protecting seasons in recent memory for a guard right now. He's only allowed five pressures. You know, one pressure every 70 snaps. And Dotson makes that look like amateur hour. its It's just incredible. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, I would say our number two rookie guard to watch Damian Lewis, not so great in pass protection. He gives up uh, a pressure once every about 21, 22 snaps, 16 pressures so far on 349 pass blocking snaps. But as a run blocker, he's been even better than Dotson. He's been fantastic. A true road grader. You know, when we watched him uh, at LSU and obviously down at the Senior Bowl, one of the things that really jumped out was how good on double teams and combo blocks and stuff uh, that he is. And when he's really locked in on those double teams, he generates a shit ton of movement. And uh, he's been really, really good uh, in the ground game for Seattle. And I think as he keeps improving as a pass protector, we could see him develop into a very long-term starter for them.
0: Yeah, and I, it's funny, as far off as Dotson was in terms of a scouting perspective of being an elite pass protector, I feel like Damian Lewis is that much to a T the way we saw him in scouting reports, right? That he was an absolute road grader, a mover in the run game excellent in the double teams especially with his running mate lloyd cushionberry at center like they were they look like a polished pro pair when they showed up a day late at the senior bowl they'd been doing it for several years at lsu and they just carried right on at the senior bowl doing that um the fact that he's been average in Pass protection, not terribly surprising. He seemed to benefit from having really good talent around him. Basically, again, the entire LSU line got drafted or picked up as undrafted free agents. Um, They're all in the NFL. And Lewis has played to type. He has been forceful in the run game, creating holes for those Seattle running backs. Uh, And yeah, he's got some work to do in pass protection, but we feel like that's kind of exactly where he lined up. So a good value pick. For the hawks they got him sort of early in the window where we said the good guards would go kind of between late third and mid-fifth was where the sort of central talent at guard resided in this draft um, and then we move on to a guy that i was super high about out of uh ohio state ends up in detroit i thought he was a bit underrated 362 pass blocking snaps so very can com- comparable to damian lewis And 16 pressures, the exact same number. So the rate, very much the same, but had a really good opening for Detroit. Several good games where he played at a high level. Then he had a bad game where he fell off and he got abused a bit. Um, But he has rounded back into form since then and is playing at a very similar level and was drafted a little bit later than Lewis as well. A great value, a guy that I looked at at Ohio State and said, this is a pro, right? This is a guy that you're gonna be able to plug in, you know, pick late, plug-in and he's gonna he's gonna serve six or eight years as a very solid interior offensive line for you at a very reasonable rate uh and it's played out almost exactly like that
1: yeah the thing with Jonah is uh you know he's he averaged allowing like a pressure and a half per game for the first you know six weeks or so and then he ran into the Colts and the thing with the Colts is, like, they they were leading in pressure rate for most of the first half of the season for a reason. That defensive line is deep. They are ridiculously talented, and they really are uh, especially deadly inside the tackles. You know, Grover Stewart is obviously phenomenal. DeForest Buckner's there. Like, for a rookie guard to go up against that rotation. Uh, the fact that only only gave up four pressures in that game and no sacks, it, it was his worst game by far. But it was still, to me, again, that's just just surviving. <laughs> the fact that you can survive that game and not give up a sack is a okay with me. Only given up sixteen pressures this year. Again, a quarter of those came in that one game against Indy. The rest of the year, he hasn't given up more than two pressures in any uh, in any in particular game. So. He's been a very, very good pass protector. As a run blocker, eh, hit or miss. But, like, you you get paid to protect the quarterback first and foremost in this league. So as long as you're good in pass protection, I can work with everything else. And Jonah Jackson has been very, very good in pass protection. You know, he was your guy pretty much throughout this whole process. The guy that you were pegging in, like, the third-ish round, I would say, um, to be, like, a key guard depth at worst and an immediate starter at best. Uh, and, and yeah, you were right about him. He's, he's really damn good. Yeah.
0: And he's keeping bones in, uh, Matt Stafford's back from being broken. So I'm all over it. Uh, and I bet Detroit fans are too, but that's the way you build a team, right? That's the way you build value. Um, yeah, you know, tremendous players. Some other players that, uh, folks might be interested, Tyler Biotish in Dallas, Lloyd Cushionberry, who we talked about in Denver, um, Shane Lemieux for the Giants, uh, Biotish, decent protection, but way less snap count overall. So he didn't make our top three Cushenberry, We love him, but he's given up a ton of pressures, the most pressures by a center in the NFL this year. That's not great. He's going to have to dial that down. Again, he's a tremendous anchor, um, can move people in the run game, but they're going to have to dial in that defensive, or sorry, defensive Denver offensive line uh, if he's going to be better. Shane Lemieux, limited opportunities, but he's got low snaps and high pressures. Um, Again, a late round guard out of Oregon guy that's probably going to contribute and will con- continue to contribute for the Giants offensive line but uh, is going to have to get some some help from his neighbors uh, and clean up those high pressure numbers if he wants to move up in the rankings overall.
1: And with that, finally time to get to the defense, EJ. Bump bump bump. Second time's the charm. <laughs> uh let's start with the interior defensive line. Number 1, it was kind of a, a an interesting kind of back and forth, because you could argue for either Javon Kinlaw or Derek Brown. They both have individual merits. Overall, though, I would say Javon Kinlaw has been a little bit better of a closer than Derek Brown, even though Derek Brown leads all interior rookie defensive linemen in pressures at 17. Uh, In fact, I think going into last week, he was second among all rookie defensive linemen, period, at any position in pressures, only to Chase Young. I'm not sure if that's still accurate now, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, So even though Brown has more pressures, the fact that Kinlaw is able to finish for a sack and a half uh, has been key. Again, it's not just about getting pressures. We love those, but finishing for sacks is also important. You know, Got a whole bunch of uh, solo tackles. I I will say that my one complaint with Kinlaw is he still does that kind of bull in a china shop freelancing stuff in the run game that I'm not super wild about. I do want him to play a little bit more under control in the run game. I feel like he he he's kind of trying a little bit too hard to penetrate all the time, which you know that probably helped him get the 15 pressures and in, in the you know sack and a half that he has. But again, I want to see him kind of rein it rein it in a little bit, you know, play under control on first and second down, get to third and long, and then you can go nuts. But you know, we've seen the talent, we've seen the upside I think he's going to be a really, really good ball player. And the fact that he kind of doesn't really know what he's doing yet, and he's still got 15 pressures, he's still got three passes broken up, sack and a half, uh, that kind of speaks to his potential.
0: Yeah, and it's growing. It's getting better, right? His production has increased in recent weeks, and his impact, quite frankly, has increased in recent weeks. He really is starting to wreck things on the interior and that's exactly why you draft a guy like Javon Kinlaw who is good at wrecking things and really enjoys it he started to up that pressure rate over the last I would say three weeks Derek Brown has been a stalwart in the middle for Carolina a guy that is just very difficult to move again getting pressure and if you can get pressure from an interior defensive lineman good on you um the solo tackle numbers not huge not surprising for you know that position for either player um again a toss up a coin flip you can really say what kind of player you're looking for here we gave the nod to kinlaw because he makes a little bit more impact again it's a passing league if you can get guys down close those 1.5 sacks or he's gotten home a very similar pressure number to derrick brown We give the nod to Kinlaw, but Derek Brown's been, uh, you know, every bit as advertised as build. He's been able to control the middle for Carolina. That's going to be key for them going forward. They made all their picks on defense, and he was obviously the first. Um, It's going to be a really good unit developing in Carolina there. And then the third guy is a guy that mm, neither one of us had heard of until recently. Uh, Tershawn Wharton for Kansas City nine solo tackles and a sack, a decent pressure rate. Again, a guy that's played somewhat sparingly, they have a lot of talent on the defensive line in Kansas City, Uh, was not highly recruited coming out of college. Uh, Most people probably won't know his name. Go look him up. He has been a very effective player in spot duty for Kansas City and is, again, a great player building block piece for a franchise to be able to get a player who's not highly sought after um, that comes in and contributes, eats, snaps, and is productive is a tremendous thing that all teams need. They need lunch pail players spread about the roster. You can't pay everybody like a star. And Tershawn Wharton has been very good nearly going for Kansas City.
1: Yeah, He's got 11 pressures on the season, but four of them Just came last week against Carolina. He's coming off his best game of the year, pressure-wise. He's got eight pressures over the last three weeks. So again, as he started to get more snaps, and we're starting to, you know, in the last, two of the last three games are are he's got, you know, 30 or more pass rush snaps. So they're starting to work him in a little bit more on third downs, and and he's starting to reward them uh, with a lot more production in the the pass rush department. Again, I, I had not heard of him at all before this season like at all in, in in by this season I mean like in the last week <laughs> like I was like who the hell and I remember cuz I was watching uh the Carolina and Chiefs game live and uh, you know big ol 98 showed up a few times he's he's put on weight by the way he was listed at 255 coming out of Missouri sT I think he's bigger than that now especially because he's playing more at like a four tech into, uh, into like a three tech. So he's probably bigger now. Um, but yeah, man, he's he's one of those guys who just comes out of nowhere. Credits to this chief scouting department for finding him. And if they keep adding to his snap counts, which it seems like they're kind of working him in more and more every single week, uh, we could see him ultimately kind of creep up and be like a second or third uh, you know, leading man here on the interior pass rush behind Chris Jones, which, you know, for a guy that you're getting as a free agent out of a, you know, a division, uh, is that division three Missouri s I got to think uh, it is, it's right? It's
0: division two. It's Missouri University of Science and Technology, which even though I used to work in higher education, I had never heard of that school. Uh, they're division two of the NCAA, um, in 2012, it says they became a member of the Great Lakes Valley Conference, which I also have never heard of, um, and have remained in the league since. Prior to that, they were in the Great Lakes Football Conference and the Mid-America Intercollegiate Athletics Association. You know, this it's in Rolla, Missouri. Now, Rolla, I've heard of. All the rest of that stuff, pretty much not heard of. Um, so, credit to the chief scouting organization which is one of the better ones in the nfl to dig out a guy like this and say nope we think we can develop him there's something here and as we've seen again over the last few weeks developing in his rookie season starting to come in eat snaps have production and he's getting rotated in those are the kind of guys you need to make a team i think to, you know, again, the team I follow, Chicago, Brent Urban, like Brent Urban, a much higher profile player coming out was certainly a division one player, but not a, you know, highly recruited player necessarily, who has been one of the highest rated uh, defensive linemen, if not the highest rated defensive lineman for the Bears this year. And you need those guys that come in and make impact plays, but don't come in with huge pedigree. So um, all credit to Tershaw Warden.
1: Yeah, let me put it this way. Uh, undrafted free agent from Division Two that I had never heard of before this week. Eleven pressures. Caleb Chason, first round pick from National Championship LSU. Eight pressures <laughs> on way more snaps. Like on way more snaps. You know, that's the thing. It right? doesn't matter. You know how you get in the league. Once you're in there, are you producing or are you not? Tershawn Wharton is producing. Uh, and speaking of the edge guys, by the way, Caleb Chason did not make our list because. His pressure rate is like one pressure every 24 snaps, which for a first-round edge is not what you're looking for. He's really struggled in the pass rush department so far as a rookie. Hopefully, uh, he can kind of pick it up a little bit because you and I both like him as a player. Uh, We didn't really see him as a full-time edge rusher, which it seems like Jacksonville's trying to make him one. I I saw him more as like a souped-up Kyle Van Noy. Hopefully they can use him in that role eventually because I feel like he would fit there a lot better than, than being a, a Yannick replacement. But anyway, I digress. Let's talk about some edges that are actually being productive. Starting with Chase Young, who's got three and a half sacks, uh, 18 pressures so far, leading all rookies uh, across any position. Uh, were it not for his injury, which I believe was a hamstring in like week two or week three, he would probably have even more production than that. Uh, I I think when you look at him, he's been as advertised so far, and I think he was well worth the second overall pick. I, for one, am shocked.
0: I had no idea that Chase Young was a decent football player. (laughs) Uh, No, Chase Young, an obvious talent coming out of OSU, uh, was compared to and oftentimes in superlative terms to the Bosa brothers, who were obviously quite productive in their own right. Um, has been very, very good and a part of a Washington football team's defensive line that we've highlighted several times throughout the season on the podcast as an absolute wrecking machine. If they start to get on top of your offensive line, your day is not going to go very well. They have a lot of talent Mm -hmm. there, and their coaching staff under Ron Rivera is maximizing it. Um, Chase Young's been a big part of that. 17 solo tackles, three and a half sacks. Again, two hundred and two pressure uh pass rushing snaps 18 pressures that's one per every 11 snaps a very good rate uh chase young is living up to his billing second on the list is a guy we talked about a lot but probably i would say it's safe to say we didn't expect this much production out of we hoped he -hmm. might get it and that's alton robinson out of syracuse now a seahawk um nine solo tackles two sacks so he is getting home 131 pass rushing snaps and seven pressures a rate of one per 18.7 again not anywhere near chase young's 11 but better than Caleb von chase on's 24.3 and alton robinson picked much later a guy that always had the physical gifts uh was a highly rated recruit going to syracuse sort of flirted with pass rush production at syracuse never quite had the full amount of production that you hoped given his physical gifts um started playing a little bit late for the Seahawks, didn't have a lot of action early in the season, but has upped his game and upped his production, and just like Tershawn Wharton, is starting to see more snaps because of it.
1: Yeah, I remember when, uh, because they drafted a couple young edge rushers, it was him and Daryl Taylor out of Tennessee, and they got Alton Robinson in the fifth, and Daryl Taylor, I believe, was in the third. And I remember you and I were like, you know, I would feel great if you just flipped those two, because I would be, I would be okay with Alton Robinson in the third because he's a better player than Daryl Taylor. And to be honest, even when Taylor comes back from injury this year, I still think that Alton Robinson's going to end up outsnapping him because again, he's got all the physical upside of Taylor, but I think he's just a, a better football player and seeing him kind of convert some of those pressures into sacks early Again, that's important. That's kind of the same thing we are talking about with Javon Kinlaw versus Derrick Brown. We're like, the pressures are great. We love pressure. But if you can convert pressures into sacks, one sack can completely ruin a drive. So again, Alden Robinson's been key for kind of helping to revive that Seahawks pass rush, which has desperately needed contributions on the defensive line to help out that beleaguered secondary. Uh, so kind of seeing him flash like that, uh it feels good feels good to see him at least sort of kind of live up to the potential we thought he had uh and then third on the list yeter gross matho is a favorite of mine a favorite of a lot of people's honestly coming out i thought he was the second most talented edge in this class when you look at you know size weight speed length all that kind of stuff he he was uh truly a uh a, an alpha kind of defensive end Just huge, long levers, great bend in the hips. I I love them coming out of Penn State. And he did have a high ankle sprain, which he's still playing through now. He missed a few weeks. But before that, both he and Brian Burns were top five in the league in pressure rate before that injury. And then after the injury, it's kind of slowed down a little bit, understandably. But, you know, he still had some impact plays here and there. Uh, he's got nine pressures on 86 pass rushing snaps, so one per every 9.5. That's even better than Chase Young. Again, the sample size is smaller, obviously, but you know he's getting pressure, and he also finished one for a sack. So as he gets healthier, hopefully he will get healthier, You know, fingers crossed, all that kind of stuff. But as the ankle gets better, I think we're still going to see him get even more productive. And again, with his physical tools, the bend, the length, the power... He is second only to Chase Young in this class. So I think he can end up being a very, very good player for the Panthers.
0: Yeah, this is the part where I don't talk about the folks that are following him out of Penn State this year because I'm really excited about them. But before (laughs) we do that, we need to talk about Terrell Lewis, a guy we did see at the senior bowl. We weren't quite sure where he sort of fit. He ends up going to the Rams, playing on a very talented defensive line. Only has three solo tackles, but he has gotten home on two sacks. And this is the part where it gets interesting, folks. 55 pass rushing snaps, seven pressures. That's one per 7.8. One pressure every 7.8 rushes. That rate... Better than Gross Matos, better than Chase Young, a lot better than Alton Robinson, way better than Caleb on chase on. So Terrell Lewis, another guy that's just started to get a little more work, started to work into the rotation, has been, uh, you know, worked in by McVay and his staff just at the right times, quite frankly, he's having the benefit of staying fresh and not being the guy where he has to go out and grind out snaps, uh, and be at a high level for, you know, 55 or 60 snaps a game. He can come in for 10 or 15 a game. Um, and we're seeing that rate. If he can carry anywhere near that rate, even double that rate, if he was at one to 14, Uh, He'd be better than Alton Robinson. He'd be comparable to Chase Young, and he has that kind of talent. He'd struggled with some injuries in college, but Terrell Lewis is a guy to keep an eye on because obviously all the attention in L.A. is on Donald and Brockers and Floyd and everybody else, but Terrell Lewis, guy that showed some good production, again, a very small sample size, and it remains to be seen if he can keep it up, but the talent is certainly there.
1: Keep in mind, a pressure rate of under eight is kind of flirting with like TJ Watt levels. You know, TJ Watt's playing out of his mind this year. He's a little bit under six. Uh, in the last couple of years, he's been around between six and eight. So again, that kind of pressure rate is elite. And if he can sustain that over a larger sample size, which I have to imagine he's going to keep getting more snaps because he's been productive. If he can sustain that pressure rate, Using his length, using his power. He's got a hell of a stiff, uh, not a stiff arm, a hell of a long arm move when he's coming off the edge, which we saw at Bama. We saw in the Senior Bowl as well. Like when he gets up and under a tackle's chest, he's very hard to stop. If he can keep kind of using those tools and then sustaining that pressure rate on more snaps, like he's going to be one of the very best edge rushers in the league. And that's not hyperbole. Like this production is real. He's really, really, really good. So again, recapping, that's Chase Young, then Alton Robinson, Yitur Matos, and then Terrell Lewis is kind of like an honorable honorable mention uh, among these rookie edge rushers. For off-ball linebacker, I think kind of you and I were in agreement, no doubt about it, Patrick Queen, number one.
0: Yeah, I got to say this is one of my favorite categories because in our research, we went back and forth and we had a bunch of players in here, and then we really started to dig into some of the advanced statistics. Uh, about their effectiveness. And we came out with a very different picture than we started with, and I love it when that happens. I love that, you know, getting exposed to data and and sort of getting into the real meat of how they're actually playing and and their levels of efficiency and coming out with a different picture than we started with. But Patrick Queen never moved. He He was in the top spot. Tremendous production, 43 solo tackles, two sacks, two forced fumbles, four tackles for loss, five QB hits and that's on 482 defensive snaps. So he has been playing uh, well and he's been playing a lot uh, for the Ravens. not something that we didn't predict seeing him come out of college. You're both very high on his physical skills and, um, and he is playing, quite frankly, at a Defensive Rookie of the Year uh, consideration level. You have to have Patrick Queen in that discussion because there are very few other rookie defenders who have had that number of snaps and that level of production combined.
1: Yeah, and he's, he's the kind of guy, and even though Brooks has played well, uh, especially in the last couple weeks for Seattle, I think he's always going to be the one that got away for the Seahawks because they had their chance at him, and they took a linebacker. Uh, but Patrick Queen falling into the lap of the Ravens is like the ultimate coup to me because again we knew what he was coming at LSU rangy instinctive still learning the position but just had such a good natural feel for it you know really good tackler comes downhill with aggression gets off blocks well Uh, you know he's I could very easily see him being uh, not just their new CJ Mosley, but even better than Mosley was. And that's saying a lot because I think he can cover better than Mosley while still playing the run as well as he did there. So again, Patrick Queen, phenomenal talent. Still can't believe he made it to the Ravens, but he did. Uh, and yeah, I, I even, well, not even if, assuming Brooks works out, which it's very possible he, he could still work out. Uh, I, I think Queen is going to play at such a high level that he's always going to be the one that got away for Seattle. Uh, number two, Logan Wilson, who has played less snaps than Queen, but when you project out uh, his production per snap, like in terms of like the amount of tackles he's gotten, the picks, the tackles for loss, the quarterback hits, like he's been a production machine on limited snaps. Again, he's played less than half the snaps of Queen, still has two picks, uh, which Queen does not. Only has one fewer tackle for loss, only two fewer quarterback hits, only one fewer sack. And again, that's on less than half the snaps. So even though Queen is the number one guy here, just because of his overwhelming numbers, on a per rep basis, Logan Wilson has arguably been the most productive rookie linebacker in this class
0: yeah i want to i want to beat my chest about this one a little bit because logan wilson was my guy logan wilson was one of the players in this draft and there are always a few uh, both on offense and defense where you start watching their tape and uh maybe their pedigree or or their pre-draft hype whatever you want to call it um certainly hasn't put them at the top of your list i watched logan wilson's tape and went i think he's the best linebacker in the draft now i hadn't watched patrick queen at that point uh but I didn't change my opinion much. Logan Wilson was a tremendously productive, instinctive, impactful linebacker in the run and the pass. He was not pigeonholed as, you know, that run stuffer or a guy that was going to have only one role. He was multiply talented and showed that every game. So it wasn't just talent. It was talent and production. Again, 215 total snaps versus Patrick Queen's currently 482 snaps and numbers that are really comparable. And if you project them out, actually much higher than Queen, Logan Wilson is sort of a star in waiting. And when he gets into that full snap rotation, he's going to be a monster for years in the middle of that defense.
1: Yeah, I, I really can't wait to see uh, as he gets more work, like you said, that kind of star power grow because he's he's just monstrously productive. Just outrageously pro- and he was like that at Wyoming. And I think he's gonna be like that in the NFL too. And just as he gets more snaps and even on special teams too. Like he's he's had a he's really a high
0: special teams utilization rate, it's up in the 60% yeah. rate. So this guy has not only been playing defensive snaps, he's also been contributing on special teams as a rookie. And he's still making those impact plays, right? Couple of picks three tackles for loss, three QB hits. Uh, His pass rush rate you pointed out as we were looking at is actually um, almost as high as his regular quote-unquote linebacker rate or his coverage rate, uh, which is rare for a guy that plays in the middle. They blitz him Uh, a lot. Just a very versatile player. (laughs) Yeah, very versatile player that can get home and make impact plays. And The defenses we're moving towards in the NFL are where you have playmakers on defense that make those impact plays. You talked about a sack earlier, you know, killing an entire drive. Same thing. If you can get a big TFL and put a team off schedule, or obviously a pick, it's guaranteed. Like Patrick Queen's got a couple of forced fumbles, but Logan Wilson's got two picks. Forced fumbles, you might get that ball back as a defensive unit. INT, it's your ball, it's going to the offense. So, Logan Wilson, a player to watch, doesn't get a ton of play being in uh, the Bengals lineup. They drafted a couple of linebackers as well. But as he gets more snaps, keep your eye on him. He's a tremendous football player. And then the third spot really gets interesting because we were looking at, like, is it Kenneth Murray, right? Highly drafted linebacker out of Oklahoma. Is it Jordan Brooks, the guy the Seahawks took a chance on very, very early in the draft? Is it Willie Gay in Kansas City or Isaiah Simmons? Like, he's a linebacker now and he had that one big pick against Russell Wilson. So who is it? We dug into the back end of all these guys and their stats and started to come up with a picture and kenneth murray was a guy that we looked at early ton of tackles 30 solo tackles second only to patrick queen only one tackle for loss only one pass defended then you look at his snap count 527 snaps and normally you'd credit a guy say hey you're a rookie and you've played over 500 snaps on defense good for you you look what he's produced with it 30 solos a tackle for loss and a pass defended that's it no qb hits no interceptions no sacks uh and you look at a guy like logan wilson literally 215 total snaps with half the tackles a sack which murray doesn't own two picks murray doesn't own three tfls to murray's one three qb hits to murray's none like you start to look at efficiency and you go whoa like Murray is a snap eater, and he's a tackle maker, but is he that playmaker on defense that's making impact? And the answer so far through the early part, and again, it doesn't mean he won't be over his career, doesn't have the potential to grow into that over his career, but in this first half of his rookie season, he's played a lot of snaps, he's made a lot of tackles, but very low impact.
1: And what's funny is uh, the one pass defense that Kenneth Murray is credited with, It was uh, last week, Justin Herbert, uh, or not Justin Herbert, um, Tua, Tua Tua literally threw him the ball. Like he didn't even have to move. (laughs) Tua just didn't see him. And he was dropping and just didn't have to leave his track at all. Tua threw him the ball and he dropped it. And they count it as a pass defense because they're just like, well, it's a deflection away. It's like, nah, that was a drop. (laughs) Like, that's, let's be real. He dropped the pick. He threw it right at him. Didn't even have to move. Just bounced right off his fingers. So, again, he's in position, not really, you know, making a play, but he's in position to make a play and then just doesn't. Whereas Logan Wilson, you know, when he picks off Wentz, like, he's actually reading eyes and jumping routes and... You know, securing the ball and all that kind of stuff. Like Logan Wilson's actually paying it off. Kenneth Murray is not. And so when we look at not just snaps, not just total stats, but making an impact with your limited snaps, we ended up with Willie Gay, as you mentioned, as the third linebacker, who only on 140 snaps the entire season so far in a reserve role. And he's kind of been worked in a little bit here and there. Uh, he's already got a sack, two tackles for loss, quarterback hit. And we saw this when he was at, uh, you know, in college at Mississippi State, where when they played against Tua, I think you said in in 2018. It was the 18
0: game against Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, He had a three play stretch against Tua with uh, a sack, or I think two sacks, or a sack and a pressure and a pick within three consecutive plays. And you started to go, wait, who's this undersized guy (laughs) playing in the middle um, that's given Tua like all this heartache? And. Willie that's Willie Gay's calling card was his calling card in D, in college was his explosiveness his ability to make impact his ability to turn a game on a play chase somebody down to the outside drag him down for a three-yard loss uh, on the next play come back and get a pass defense or a pick and then the next play you know maybe late coffeehouse blitz up the middle and obliterate the quarterback uh, he's just that guy and you look at only 140 snaps almost 400 snaps less than kenneth murray he's got basically half the tackles a full sack which murray doesn't have two tfls murray doesn't have and a qb hit which murray doesn't have so in terms of efficiency and impact again being a playmaker on defense we rated him patrick queen logan wilson and willie gay uh Honorable mention goes to Kenneth Murray for again taking all those snaps, making all those tackles. Jordan Brooks, uh, the aforementioned Seattle player, who a lot of people questioned where he was taken, not his fault um, is starting to warm up, especially last week. Keep an eye on Brooks. He's going to earn more playing time and he's going to be very productive in that playing time. We also talked about Isaiah Simmons, but really, he had that one big pick of Russell Wilson to end the game and not a lot else. Again, he's growing into that role. Still think he can be productive where he was picked to play. Uh, but right now it's Patrick Queen, Logan Wilson, and Willie Gay. So why don't we talk
1: about corner for a little bit? I would love to, Brett. Let's talk about corner. (laughs) One of your favorite human beings on planet Earth is Jalen Johnson. I get to be really
0: excited about this. I was very high on Jalen Johnson, the player. I was extremely glad that the Bears drafted him, and he has been better than expected, and I expected a lot out of Jalen Johnson. 25 solo tackles. The big deal is leads the NFL with 13 passes broken up. That's not leads rookies or leads corners. That's leads all players in the league with 13 passes broken up as a rookie. He's only allowed two touchdowns. He's been in pass coverage on 410 snaps. He's only been targeted 58 times. That's going to be a ratio we're going to talk about as we work through the rest of the rookies, but Jalen Johnson not getting a ton of press, playing opposite Kyle Fuller. Honestly, he might be the Bears' best cornerback, and Fuller's been playing at an all-pro level. Jalen Johnson's early season performance for the Bears has been nothing short of remarkable.
1: Yeah, and I know people keep playing that clip on repeat where Justin Jefferson kind of cooked him last night on the uh, on the, the kind of Euro step slant route, but let's be real. That's Justin freaking Jefferson it's gonna happen like he's he's gonna beat you, but Jalen still bounces back, he's still making plays himself. he had some some really nice coverage last night in some key situations, like the only reason that game was even relatively close was because the defense kept it close, and Jalen's a big part of that uh really fluid mover. I think sometimes he gets a little bit aggressive with his hands because again he 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 doesn't like to allow separation. So he can get a little bit grabby, but you know that's just his style of play, and he's he's gonna pay it off uh, with big plays and breakups and picks and all that kind of stuff. Like that's just how it is. You gotta live with it. Uh, it's very Jalen Ramsey ish, where it's like, hey, he's he's going out there to box, so you just gotta let him box. And I'm I'm a big fan of his style of play. I'm a big fan of physical corners that actually rely on contact. Uh, and don't just, you know, give receivers a ton of space to work. Like, he always closes down space. Just a really, really good corner. Uh, I, I, th- I think he's more than worth the pick in the second round. I think if you're doing a redraft, he probably would go in the first round. He's He's been that good. Um, and speaking of first-round corners, A.J. Terrell, number two on the list, who another guy that a lot of people were skeptical of that he went that high. It was like 18th or 19th overall to Atlanta. And, uh, you know, I, both you and I on the draft stream were like, nah, just just wait for it. This kid's really, really good. Uh, a lot of people were kind of giving uh, him flack because Jamar Chase beat him in the championship game a couple times. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's Jamar just like Chase. Ch- <laughs> it's Jamar Chase. It's yeah. just like Justin Jefferson beating Jalen Johnson. Shit's going to happen. They're really good receivers. Deal with it. Like, Jamar Chase is the closest thing we've seen to Julio Jones since Julio came out, like he's ridiculously talented. So did I care that Terrell got beat by him a couple times? No, it was a first overall quarterback playing against a top five prospect and receiver. It's going to happen. But Terrell, when you look at him again, 300, uh, a little over 300 uh, coverage snaps so far, only 40 targets. They don't really throw at him that much. They would prefer not to because He's, he's always really tight on the receiver. Again, another physical guy that doesn't like to allow space. If you're in his zip code, he's going to put hands on you. I love his physical style of play. Uh, really good tackler in the open field. He's not afraid to throw his body in there. Uh, you know, plays the run aggressively. I, I think he can work on zone coverage a little bit more, but just in terms of, you know, press man skills and all that kind of stuff, like, I'm a huge fan of A.J. Terrell. And again, he just he doesn't get thrown at that often. Yeah, good size, great technique.
0: Again, the the chase thing in the championship game was a bit of a red herring. All corners are going to get beat. If I had a knit to pick with AJ Terrell, he needs to get his head around a little bit more. It's one of the things that rookie corners struggle with. He's only gotten his hand on the ball a couple of times when it hasn't been a pick. So two PBUs, but he does have the one interception has allowed three T's, which is not bad again it's a passing league the rules are slanted towards offenses being able to complete passes and get touchdowns that's what fans love to see is high scoring despite that as a rookie only three TDs allowed and again 300 snaps, only 40 targets. That's the lowest number on our list. It's less than Jalen Johnson. It's less than the corners we're going to talk about in a minute. So Terrell has more than held his own as a rookie. And I think both you and I saw that coming and said so. Tried to calm people down when they freaked out that he was picked as early as he was. But this is a high-quality corner talent, and that's a premium position.
1: Yeah, 100%. Uh, And then third on the list, uh, Trayvon Diggs has been... A little bit of a roller coaster, not going to lie. A lot of highs, a lot of lows. Uh, but the good has been very good, and the bad has been very, ga- uh, very bad. But we thought he deserved the third spot on the list because at the end of the day, 10 PBUs, you got to be in good coverage to even be in position to get 10 PBUs. It's second to Jalen Johnson among rookies, so he's gotten his hands on the ball a lot. And he also has two picks as well. The problem is, is that he's also allowed five touchdowns? It's it's very boom or bust with him, and he's such an aggressive corner that his eyes can get caught in the backfield a little bit too often He'll lose track of his receiver. Uh, and he's not the fastest dude, so if you get a step on him, he's not he doesn't have like the recovery speed of say a Jalen Ramsey or like a Marshawn Lattimore who runs four three. You know, like if you get over the top of him, you can stay over the top of him. So. Uh, I I think his aggressive style leads to a lot of big plays, but it also leads to some big plays given up. But I do think that he uh, deserves that spot on this list.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely feast or famine. And again, this is a guy that's played directly to his scouting report that he's going to make big plays, but he's also going to get burned for big plays. And you're just going to have to live with that. That's really who he is as a corner. If he shuts you down, he's going to shut you down big and he's going to shut you down physical. He's going to get his hands on a bunch of passes. But if he gambles and misses, like you said, if you get over the top on him or he bites on the double move, you know – takes the bait on the sluggo you're probably going to get a touchdown so it's that high touchdowns allowed number um and people pick on him because of that they know there's opportunity there it's a gamble he might grab that ball but if he doesn't you might get a touchdown so 336 pass coverage snaps really comparable to aj terrell's number 62 targets a full third more so people are, people are giving the business to uh, Trayvon Diggs a little bit. He's been giving it back in fair share, but when he misses, he misses Biggs. And there's a lot of defensive coordinators that don't like that. Um, they don't like that high-risk approach. It's always what Diggs was going to give you. He's going to give you some highlight plays on both ends.
1: Yeah, and speaking of of missing big, uh kind of an ob- honorable mention that we didn't you know, he's, he's an honorable mention just because it was a first round pick, not because he's had a a particularly great start to his rookie year. Like week one, I felt like CJ Henderson was great. And then that, that was kind of the peak so far, you know, he's had six pass breakups, but he's also had four touchdowns allowed, uh, you know, one shy of Trayvon Diggs. So he's also been kind of a gambler and they play more man coverage in Jacksonville than anybody else. And, you know if you gamble in man free coverage there's no safety over the top to help you like you just flat out lose and it's a touchdown like we saw with the 77 yarder to fuller a couple weeks ago like if if you're in man free and you either lose on the rep or you know you gamble and then you know get taken advantage of like again it's it's a touchdown like that's that's what it is so that's part of the reason why he has the six PBUs is because he's out on an island with no help, so he feels like he has to make the play. But that's also why he's given up four touchdowns. And they throw at him quite frequently. He's only got 270 uh, pass coverage snaps, but over 40 targets on that. Uh, you know, it's a higher rate than Terrell, uh, for instance, who also plays physical man coverage. But I think teams. I think teams know that they can pick on Henderson in man a little bit more than they can pick on Terrell. I just feel like Terrell's better in that basically the same role than than Henderson is right now. And I I do want to see him just, what's, how do I say this tactfully? I want to see him not gamble so much because of the system he's in. Like at least with Dallas, with Diggs, like most of the time they're going to be in too high so he can afford to gamble a little bit like Henderson like nah dude just just stay over the top of the route if they snap it off and run a comeback deal with it that's fine like you don't need to play trail all the time uh because they're just going to eventually hit one on you and we've seen that play out multiple times so the gambling the staying in trail the trying to bait out throws like it it's not really working for him. I would much rather see him going you know, kind of go back to playing almost exclusively uh, stack technique and staying over the top of routes since there is no safety help. And just if they try to beat you underneath, they try to beat you underneath. That is what it is. But I'd rather give up a 20-yard comeback than a 77-yard touchdown like he did to Will Fuller.
0: Yeah. And speaking of the Fullers, I would love to put Kyle Fuller tape in front of CJ Henderson and say, you've got the physical gifts. He's probably even more physically gifted than Kyle Fuller, who's a a very athletic cornerback. Play more like this, right? Keep it in front of you, break downhill on the ball. You're fast enough. Your reactions are good enough. You have the length. Um, It keeps your eyes in the right place. It gives you an extra step if they do turn and try and run on you you've got size, that's not going to be so bad. But what is bad is again, if you're in front of them and you dive and miss, forget it, it's gone. So I'm with you that there's some adjustment and technique and scheme here that can really help the player. Physically, he's a marvel uh, and he's got speed. He's got length. He's got good technique. He's got good strength. He understands routes and leverage but he's got to put himself in a better starting position because right now when he misses it's it's a huge gain or it's a touchdown and can't really afford that. The one other guy that was on our list, Damon Arnett, um look, he had a good start. He had some really good plays early that were quite positive, uh but he's been hurt so he just kind of didn't have enough body of work to be considered, but keep an eye on him, good player um and with that we're going to move on to safety and i'm going to cry huge tears because our number one player is antoine winfield jr tampa bay could have been a bear was available when they picked cole commit they still could have had jalen johnson <laughs> and that defensive backfield would be set for years but living up to that billing of a playmaker coming out of minnesota 32 to, 32 solo tackles two sacks Four pass breakups and an interception. He's been everywhere for Tampa Bay. He's had his times. He's gotten burned, but he's made a huge amount of impact for a rookie and will probably continue to do so. I don't think it surprises anyone that really watched his tape in college, uh, and he's just continued to play that in the pros. Um, Tampa Bay, I think, is very happy about picking Antoine Winfield Jr.
1: You know, every year there's always a safety that you just know is gonna be good you know it's it's Eddie Jackson it's Buddha Baker it's Jesse Bates like we always have one where like we're watching some safety that ends up going on day two where you know they should have been a first round pick and this year was Antoine Winfield like everybody knew what he was coming out of Minnesota there was he was probably one of the safer players in the draft we all knew what he was like he is very much his father's son Ultra physical as a tackler, despite his size, ball skills, instincts on instincts on instincts. Like the fact that he went in the second round was probably just because he plays safety, which some teams don't really invest high in the safety position. But he is, to me, one of the 32 best football players, like just pure football players in this draft class. And he probably should not have gone as late as he did. So again, I wholeheartedly agree uh, for him to be the number one safety so far. Uh, at least among rookies, he's been everything that I think we we thought he could be and more. Uh, now number two on the list, Jeremy Chin, I think has probably exceeded expectations, a little bit different than Antoine Winfield. Like I think a lot of people were a little bit more, What's the word? Cautiously optimistic about Chin solely because of it, uh, solely because of his athleticism. His level of competition was obviously not, you know, the same level of Minnesota, but you know, when you saw him move like very few human beings on this planet can move at his size. You know, two hundred thirty plus pounds running low 4'4", four. I, I would say is probably, you know, about what his speed was. Like he was looking like a freaking linebacker that could run like a deer it was it was crazy to see him move especially relative to you know the people down it uh he was which illinois was he at again southern illinois uh i want to say southern illinois southern illinois but you know who's southern illinois playing like not not huge schools and it was almost kind of comical sometimes watching him run with everybody else on the field because he was so clearly the most gifted player in in the game every single week. And so I think when people looked at Jeremy Chin, like they kind of projected based on athleticism, what he could maybe be. And so far we're actually seeing him reach that potential a lot earlier than I think a lot of people expected, myself included already got 40 tackles, five pass breakups. He's got a pick. I mean, he is all over the field for this Panthers defense, just running around like a bat out of hell Uh, He's been highly, highly impressive to me. And again, his athleticism is a big key to that.
0: Yeah, he was an early season wrecking machine, really came on early. My only question about Jeremy Chin coming out was his processing speed. He was just, he had some plays where he still made the play again against a lower level of competition, but there was sort of a half a tick of, should I go? uh, Am I trusting what I'm seeing? And that was my major hurdle for him to get over. The physical talent was always there. Great length, great size, great physicality. This is a guy who's, you know, Steve Atwater's nephew. Um, it really wasn't a question that he could run, that he could hit, that he could play the pass, that he could stay with just about anybody, that he was going to be a great matchup weapon for tight ends. That's certainly the potential he was drafted with. And I just wanted to see him in a more complex system, quite frankly, a pro system, be able to process mentally quicker and recognize what he was seeing faster because if you unify those two things a quick mental process with all the physical gifts he has you're talking about not just a pro bowler but an all-pro player and he's matured very very quickly in that system and had a ton of production i have very few worries about jeremy chin he's made a ton of plays early
1: on and easily deserves the second spot on this list yeah and uh number three on the list speaking of deserving This is a guy that uh, had even less pub than Jeremy Chin coming out, at least in the draft community. You know, Jeremy Chin was like, he got some hype just because of athleticism, but uh, there's a guy over in Indianapolis who got even less hype than Chin did, and he's arguably been even better, and that's Julian Blackman, uh, who was a third-round pick for them, and he's been a revelation for an already good Colts defense, and he's made them elite. Fun fact, EJ. There's a lot of safeties in the NFL. The number two safety in the entire league in terms of yards given up per coverage snap is Julian Blackman. He only gives up 0.14 yards per snap in coverage. The only guy who's better than that is Bobby McCain, weirdly enough, over in Miami. But, I mean, that's better than every other quote-unquote top-flight safety that you can name uh you know minka uh you know micah hyde jesse bates eddie like all these guys you know harrison smith all these guys that you would expect to be getting the all pro votes julian blackman's allowing less yards than all of them yeah he's a
0: jack of all trades at utah that utah defense uh, so he's a teammate of jalen johnson um teammate of terrell burgess uh, that Utah defense was loaded with talent and Blackman was kind of, well, he wasn't kind of, he was absolutely, uh, the Swiss army knife, Jack of all trades. They played him some at slot corner. They played him a little bit at outside corner. They played him at both safety spots interchangeably. They would rush him. Uh, they drop him into the deep third. He was just sort of all over the place. If you watch two or three years with the tape for Blackman, And it was really a question about, okay, whichever team takes him, where are they going to put him? How are they going to use him? How are they going to employ him? How often um, and how quickly is he going to adapt? Is he going to be a straight nickel? Is he going to come on as a dime? A lot of people thought he was going to be... purely a dime player early on then you started to watch his tape and you said whoa this guy's effective in every role he's good against the pass he will come up against the run even though he's slightly undersized people just kind of didn't really know where he fit because he was pretty good at everything Indianapolis has slotted him into the role they have him in which is primarily uh I would say a cover two type safety uh, and he has played extremely well and is playing better as the weeks go on he was not necessarily making a ton of noise in the first two or three weeks every week since then, he's made a play. Uh, In the last couple of weeks, he's made multiple plays. Like you're seeing a guy get comfortable in the system and start to play fast, exactly the kind of thing I was talking about with Jeremy Chin that I was worried about. Blackman always had a quick trigger and it's getting quicker now that he's getting more comfortable in the confines of Indianapolis. And we're seeing tremendous, like you said, quoting in the stats, effectiveness uh, out of a player that was a great value. And that's where you probably should be getting a good safety if you're looking at really good value. We talk about the Antoine Winfields of the world that you know should have been picked in the first round, but are easily second round picks. If you can get a productive safety, and I mean really productive safety in the third or the fourth, that's proper team building because safeties aren't paid at a tremendously high level. And if you can get one that meshes with your system and creates production at that level, It's a very good theme for your overall team building.
1: You want to know something interesting? Always. In week two, Justin Jefferson caught a 22-yarder against Julian Blackman. Uh, And it's Justin Jefferson. He's amazing. Obviously, we went over that multiple times. 22 yards, decent game, but not huge. Uh, You know what's fascinating about that catch?
0: It's the last
1: one that Julian Blackman gave up. Yep, <laughs> all the way back in week two. Yeah, to Justin we're Jefferson. We're two months later. We're two months later. He isn't giving up a catch. Yeah, is the
0: fifth leading receiver in the NFL? Not for rookies. Not for the NFC. Not a, like a fifth leading receiver in the NFL. And Julian Blackman's last quote-unquote failure in coverage was in week two to that guy. Okay, like we said with the corners, it's gonna happen. Everybody gets beat. That is nothing to shy away from julian blackman doing a tremendous job and i would say quietly uh for the colts but keep an eye on him if you're a football fan you'll appreciate his play uh some other guys we considered for the list kyle duggar is a guy that's warming up in new england he was often compared in the same uh basket with jeremy chin guy from a smaller school who's incredibly physically talented duggar played at lenore Ryan. uh had a really good play shutting down the run he's got 18 solo tackles and counting i think he's gonna be the sort of future strong safety rover for the patriots going forward and by the future i mean probably about three weeks from now he's going to settle into that role and if he doesn't leave for the next seven or eight years uh, i wouldn't be all that surprised um we talked about Ashton Davis a lot. Tremendously physically talented, uh, you know, was a track runner, uh, super fast. Again, a very physical football player. He's only got nine solo tackles and a a pass breakup for the Jets. Um, Didn't start playing in week one. Also has some kick returns for them. I think Ashton Davis will, again, grow into that sort of deep third safety role where he can really cover ground like a corner. We even discussed a conversion to corner when we were talking about him in the draft workup. And then uh, Julian Blackman's uh, teammate, Terrell Burgess, who we mentioned earlier, uh, playing for the Rams seven solo tackles and a pass breakup again, can play all over, has a little bit more size than Blackman. Um, but again, slots in as a very good sort of big nickel, uh, matches up against tight ends pretty well. Um, and interesting chess player who I think he's going to get more snaps in that very talented Rams defense, obviously has a lot of great role models to sort of learn from, Um, none of those guys made the list doesn't mean that they won't be there at the end of the season or in coming season. So keep an eye on all of those names, but that's our rookie recap. How do you feel about it?
1: Uh, I feel great. And I I will say, I just kind of realized that my number one takeaway is that we talked about three Utah DBs, which makes Michael Pittman absolutely destroying them all the more impressive that all three of those guys are in the NFL now and succeeding and Pittman still kicked the shit out of them. So, Shout out to Michael Pittman. And how much fun Uh, is it
0: at the Colts practice right now when Julian Blackman ends up on Pittman? Oh, my God. (laughs) Because they're just talking about it, right? Oh, my God. Pittman's like, yeah, you remember, right? You remember what I did to you. And Blackman's like, yeah, try and do it again. (laughs)
1: Um, i haven't given up a catch in two months
0: (laughs) right and the last one was justin jefferson who's a better receiver than you so let's go big boy uh no that's got to be super fun it's always great to see great players go against each other but uh we hope you enjoyed the rookie recap we certainly did let's us dust off our draft notes and see how well you know all of our projections are actually landing and producing uh in the nfl great show, ton of fun. Hope it gives you a better view of the league. That's our goal every each and every week here on the Bootleg Football Podcast. Um you got anything else coming out this week,
1: Brett? Uh not this week. Next week for Thanksgiving, I'm kind of doing a what's the word? A preview of Steelers Ravens. I'm basically oh, kind of yes. going back and 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 seeing how the Steelers make Lamar's life a living, a living hell cuz I find that fascinating that he kind of struggles against that defense I mean everybody struggles against the defense but um, I want to see what specifically the Steelers do to to really affect this Ravens offense because they do a great job of it and uh, yeah that should be a a pretty fun episode
0: cool and uh, I get a bi-week break this week from bears over beers which is good because the state of the chicago bears is eh, probably not worth talking about this week uh just for reference we're doing a pets of windy city gridiron article this week so we don't have to talk about the state of the bears so we all sent in pictures of our dogs and cats and bunnies and everything else um yeah we'll be back next week with bears over beers talking about some things that the bears can do whether or not they should keep the front office the staff which players all that good stuff but for this week we get mercifully to take a break and like you said thanksgiving's coming next week uh we might have an altered schedule for that but thank you so much for hanging with us um so until the next one thank you so much for listening we are happy to have you Hope you enjoyed it and we will see you again next week.
1: Later.